Well, greetings, church. Good to be with you online this week. And wow, what an intense week this has been already. And I'm sure by Sunday, or maybe when you're viewing this, even more will have transpired. But uh, just as a church, I know we're, we're wanting to just uh, be united in praying and lifting up uh, the Ukraine and all that they're going through, and even the, the believers there and the churches that are gathering. And so just praying that Jesus Christ would be their refuge and their strength during this time. And so my hope is that this time of worship is an encouragement for you and that we can choose to spend some time looking at God's word, which couldn't possibly be more relevant in today's passage. I will go ahead now and dive into worship.
with words that pierce the dark with light Only by the blood are we set free With mercy strong to carry shame and nail it to a tree You alone hold the power to there, Agora Bible Fellowship Online. So good to see you. Hopefully you're having a wonderful day. Hey, a couple of announcements for you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love to just let you know what's going on here at the church. First of all, people just need prayer sometimes, and so we would love to be the people that pray for you. So if there's anything going on, we'd love to pray for you this week. Please text any prayer request to 97,000. So here at the church, we've got our ministries that kind of run regularly. We've got events going on all the time. There's a lot of different meetings that are happening throughout the week regularly. And we'd love for you to just go to the website and check out our calendar and see all the stuff that's going on this week and the the weeks to come. There's a ton. So we'd love for you to just go and check it out. We've got things for everyone. 
Also on the website, if if you're just blessed by the ministries here at the church, whether in person or just online, uh, would you consider financially supporting us? That's the way that all of this works. Uh, and so we're just thankful for people like you that generously give. And uh, we'd ask uh, if you're interested in doing so, you can go online under the Give tab and give there. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. Uh, dear Father, um, thank you again just for another day, uh, another time to be together, to gather uh, online, and to get in your Word. Um, Father, we're so desperate for you to speak to us regularly. Uh, it's not just a once-a-week thing. We regularly need your Word to speak to us. And so we pray uh, that today, as we just dive in, um, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts. Um, we need you to do that. We depend on your Holy Spirit to move and work in our lives. We pray this all now in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Josh, uh, for just leading into this time as we continue working our way through the book of uh, Hebrews. And uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 6 here today, and uh, starting in verse 13 and just working through verse 20, I always encourage you to uh, open up God's Word. It's a lot easier if we're going through this uh, together. And as we're diving into the conversation this week, one of the things I've noticed, maybe you've uh, seen it accelerated in the last couple of years, is I just feel like the corruption meter has been going up, not just globally and not just with uh, things related to the virus, but I mean, just, just personally, I just feel like more and more people are comfortable with dishonesty, with, with not, without keeping their word or not being true. It actually seems like it's hard to find somebody that uh, their promise is going to be something that you trust. I don't know if you're like this, where it's hard to find somebody that you're like, man, I, I really feel like I can trust uh, this person. It's kind of a sad state of affairs. And really, if I were to ask you, if you, if you were to raise your hand, if you were at one point disappointed by somebody not keeping their word in the last couple of years, I'm imagining that the majority of people listening right now would have a hand raised. I know even myself and people I love, we've had different uh, doses of this in our life. I think back as I was reflecting on different examples of this, Adrian and I were for a season of life were landlords of uh, a townhome back in Chicago. That was the one that we uh, first moved into and, uh, and kind of expanded from there. And, and really, I think back to some of the different exposures. It was kind of a wake-up call for us of just the degree of dishonesty. You're like, man, this person promised this and they didn't deliver. And I think I've mentioned it before in a ser sermon in the past, the one time that we had someone that after moving out, they, they took anything they could possibly take from the place and they left a don't forget to steal sheet in the middle of the living room. They, they literally itemized things they wanted to remember to take before leaving. See, it's a sad state that we're in that we don't really know who to trust, and you're like, well, why do you bring this up, Pastor Scott? Last week, you might remember that we talked about one of the reasons that we persevere as the followers of Jesus Christ is because we're heirs, uh, kind of like the idea of somebody that's an heir of something, heirs of the promises of God. And here's the, the cool thing in today's text. It's reminding us a few things of what a big deal it is to be the objects of these promises, but also the trustworthiness of our God. 
Unlike the world that we're surrounded with, where it's second nature to tell the truth or to be dishonest, we're dealing with the God. The more you dig into scripture, we're dealing with the God that is a known promise maker and a known promise keeper. I was reading this week just about a gentleman that was studying God's word on this topic. His name is Herbert Locklear. He's researching, just kind of starting all the way in Genesis and working through the book of Revelation. And he explored under this topic of promises. And he discovered 7,147 promises in Scripture from God to man. How unbelievable is that to think of so much of Scripture? One of the things that it's marked with is having a God that makes promises and then delivers on those promises. I remember a season that we were back in Chicago. I was underneath our former teaching pastor. He did a series that broke down some of these promises, obviously not listing the 7,000 different promises, but he broke things into five different categories of promises that we see in Scripture. These have stuck with me over the years. I really like this list. The first promise, because a lot of times I think people are like, well, what does Scripture actually promise to be true? A couple main categories about God and promises of who he is. First promise is God is always with me. God is always with me. You can't get away from him. You can't, uh, you can't dis- escape his presence. God is always with me is one promise. Another promise for the believer is that God is always in control. Doesn't matter as we look at the, the world happenings in the past week, God is still reigning and in complete control. Third one, God is always good. He's good. That's, that's who he is. That's not, it's not he does good things, but he is good. It's his character, just like he is love. Fourth one, God is always watching. We talked about that a little bit last week, that nothing escapes by him, whether it's good or bad. He's watching. He sees it all. And we will all one day give an account to him. Lastly, last category is God is always victorious. God is victorious. It's not as if you're like teetering like, well, how, how's God going to do versus the enemy? Was it, I always hate in cartoons or whatever where it tries to make God and Satan as, as peers. That's not even remotely accurate. Instead, God is reigning in complete control and he will be victorious. These are just some of the different areas of, of promise that those who endure to the end, those who demonstrate genuine faith will be able to cling to. And it's important, especially during seasons like we've been in in the last couple of years, seasons of a virus, of misinformation, of, of here now and the, the, the threat of war, all of these seasons that we're going through, man, what a time where it's important for us to assess what promises are we clinging to? How are we going to respond It's not an invitation to a kind of a trite optimism. Sometimes people think like, oh, well, I'm clinging to the promises. I'm just, I'm just happy and I'm, and I'm cheery and I'm choosing to see the glass half full rather than half empty. You see the difference between biblical optimism versus worldly optimism is that it's based in certainty. We have a God that's a constant 
that doesn't change. If he says something is going to happen, it will happen. It can't not happen because that's who he is. He's a God, as we'll see in this text, that cannot lie. We're going to dive in and work our way through this. And my hope and my prayer is this helps us form a a, a biblical theology of promises here today that we can cling to in times even like the week that we're currently in. Let me pray before we do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word, to faithfully keep coming back to this as our source of truth, our source of comfort, our source of strength. God, as I already mentioned at the beginning of the service, my prayer uh, prayers go out for the folks in Ukraine. So much uncertainty there, so many hard things that they're facing right now. I pray that you would draw close. I pray that this would be even a, a catalyst for many coming to know Jesus Christ and that you would do the convicting that only you can do with whatever needs to happen to stop this war and to stop the bloodshed. God, we ask for that on their behalf. God, we submit these things to you. We ask that you teach us now, even in your word, that you be present and moving and active and and using this to shape us and mold us into your likeness. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so starting in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 is where we will begin. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So let's stop there. Our author is using Abraham as an example to kind of hammer home the certainty of God's promises. See, I I like this description. Romans 4, it actually calls Abraham the father of all who believe. Because he was somebody that was pushed to the brink with the demands for his trusting in God. If you think about it, when he was asked and when he was told, he was a very unlikely candidate to be told, I will bless you and multiply you. Why was he an unlikely candidate? Because that message came to him when he was 75 years old. And so when it tells us that Abraham patiently waited, that's a huge understatement to say the least, because the initial promise was given when he was 75 years old, and then God revisited the promise when he was turning, when he was 99 years old. Can you imagine that when God comes to him and actually renames him from Abram to Abraham, and his new name actually means father of a multitude, father of many. It would have been laughable to so many in the audience if they would have heard that new title. It'd be like somebody calling me the pastor of long locks of hair. Like it's, it's just inconsistent with what makes sense. You see, what made sense was that he had a, a barren wife and he, at age 99, there wouldn't be hope of anything changing. But obviously that's not where the story took us because he was patient because he was faithful, because he is obedient, God honored him by fulfilling those promises to him. 
You think about all the different ways that faith was demanded of Abraham. First, it was the call for him to to move to a land he wasn't familiar with, to relocate completely. Then it was a a call that he was going to be a a father of of a a huge people group. You're just like, man, well, that took some trust for sure. And then when he finally did have a son, when he had Isaac, remember he had to act in faith, even being called to take his son's own life. All of these things he was protected from, but then ultimately he was extent he was demonstrating a trust in God's promises. And obviously it didn't necessarily happen in his ideal time frame. Isn't that often the way that it works for us still today? Where we know God's promises, but we really wish that we could adjust God's timeline for when those promises are fulfilled. But here's the truth, and the further you, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you realize that he uses those times of waiting to shape our character, to grow us, to mold us into his likeness. So, we're told there, as it's talking about Abraham, as it's sharing this track record of faithfulness, what does it say? Having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Well, how did Abraham obtain the promise? Well, look present day. I was reading this week, just a little bit of statistics as it relates to this section, that there's over 14 million descendants of Abraham living in the world present day. That's not to mention the millions of more, more of spiritual descendants or the millions who have passed before this generation. God has been faithful to his promise to make his name great and to bless him through obviously leading to the line of Jesus as our rescue. I like the point that the author makes about swearing it would happen. It's kind of an interesting one. If you think about how it works present day, we typically swear on something that's important to us to verify or to clarify how serious we're taking the promise that we're about to make. Think about that. If you're somebody that really loves your mom, you'll say like, well, I swear on my mom. Or if you're really serious about it, I swear on my mother's grave. Now we know in Matthew chapter 5 verse 37 that we're told that this isn't necessary, that we're to let our yes be yes and our no be no, but this is God's demonstration to us of how serious he is. You usually would take something that's greater than you or very important to you and elevate it as a commitment on that thing. Think about if you've ever seen any kind of a court of law, what do they do? What do they put their hands on? They lay their hand on a Bible and they say, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. And here it's kind of a cool example that we're seeing that God himself didn't have someone hired to go to. So he makes an oath and promise on himself. In other words, The promises that he makes, every promise the Lord makes is secured by his character. Each promise, if you think about it, puts his integrity on the line because he's committed to it on himself. And truth be told, as you look back at the promises that he has made, they either have been fulfilled or will be fulfilled. He has a perfect track record. So as our author is writing to this audience of Hebrew believers. He's trying to explain to them, God can be trusted because 
He's committed on his own self, on his own character to fulfill these promises that he's made to those of us who are in Christ. We'll continue with kind of a, a, this argument, if you will, a seal-proof argument for why God is trustworthy. Verse 16 tells us, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God des desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that the outcome, that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Basically, the author is explaining what I was starting to explain there in that last section, that he's using this, that he's, there's a tendency for us to swear on something that's important or greater than us, than themselves to solidify a commitment. So he, he, he revisits that idea here. And then we're told that God does something uh, with, a, with an oath to keep his promise. And what's an oath? It's kind of like, I'm, I'm committing to do this. I'm promising to do this. That, that would be a, an example of an oath. And why do you think God needed to give an oath? Why is that necessary? His yes should be yes, and his no should be no. If anybody should be able to stand on their own word, why would an oath be necessary? I like what we see here in the text. It says, so that they can show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Who are the heirs of the promise? Those who, of us who have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we're heirs of the promise. And he's wanting to show us and convince us of how trustworthy he is. And so this is a demonstration for us who have a tendency to wander from trust, if we're honest, right? where we have a tendency to become fearful. When we look around and our circumstances are whirling and, and you don't know what's going to happen next and we're in seasons of virus and of war and you're like, man, how is this going to play out? He's like, I demonstrated this. I did this so that you ha would have a, a confidence, a security, show more convincingly the promises that I've made. So many people, if we're honest, struggle with anxiety. Anxiety has a, a fear about the future, fear about unknown. This is not part of being with him. If you're in him and you're walking with him and clinging with his, to his promises, anxiety is not intended to be part of the believer's life. So what is the basis of this trust that he's trying to explain in this argument of sorts that he's making? It says the unchangeable character of his purpose. What do you mean the unchangeable character of his purpose? Most everything around us is constantly changing, but when God, when you think of God, he has a purpose and an outcome that he's moving everything towards. And that is unchangeable. So one of the things that he directs this commitment to or this oath to is it's as sure as his plans are. It's as sure as his plans are, his purpose, what he intends to unfold around us. And you can have complete confidence. 
Now that's unfamiliar to us because we're surrounded with people that are a little bit shaky as far as this goes. You know, you deal with somebody that you're like, well, I know, have you ever said this before? I know they had the best intentions, but they just weren't able to follow through. Well, there's never an example with that with our God. There's never an example of like, well, he had good intentions, but he wasn't able to follow through. Why is that not part of the interacting with our God? Because there's nothing that he's unable to do. So there's nothing that he was unable to follow through on. So it's unchanging as his purpose. The other thing that we're not familiar with is, or we're familiar with is people that are kind of flaky. That they decide one thing and then they change their mind. You're like, well, what happened there? What happened to this commitment? What happened to that promise? It's hearing this week this story about a guy by the name of Barry June. A pastor was telling about him. He was part of this gentleman's, this pastor's church. This guy, Barry June, felt a, a call from the Lord to go on the missions field. And he felt directly called to go to the, I don't, I wasn't clear on which country in particular, but it was in Africa. He felt this call to go as a missionary there. And the church was very supportive about this guy going on the mission field. So they had a, a big send off. They made a big deal about him after the church service on Sunday afternoon, knowing that he had a flight later that afternoon. They ha even had somebody scheduled and planned to actually take him to the airport for this new adventure in missions. But then they were all shocked and surprised when, when later that evening, when the church came back together for an evening service, that they, that they saw Barry June at the service. They're like, hey, Barry, what, what happened here, buddy? I thought you were going to be on a, on a flight heading to Africa. And he, he explained to him, he said, listen, once I saw how much people loved me here, I couldn't imagine leaving. And true story, the, the gentleman never did head off to the mission field because he kind of flaked on the whole idea. See, with God, as you're dealing with his purpose and his promises, he's not in this scenario where he's going to waver. He's going to stay the course. Why is he going to stay the course? Well, we also see it there in the text. It says, it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Notice that it doesn't say it's unlikely or unprobable, but rather impossible. All, in all of human history, in all of uh, history since the creation of the world, in all of eternity, God has never lied. So if he makes a promise, you have to know that it is not going to fail. So what's the intended outcome? What, how are we supposed to respond to this truth? Well, first, just to uh, respond to kind of what he's explained here. First, to recap, he says, his promises have never failed. His purpose can't be changed. He's unable to lie. Then he seals it with an oath. With the intended outcome is told to us, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. In other words, those who, of us who have chosen him as our refuge can hold fast to him because of this. I'll tell you what, watching the news in the last 24 hours has been, I'll be honest, pretty heartbreaking. Seeing all of the different people there and, and even in the city of Kiev, all the traffic lined up, people that just want to get out of there. They're just seeking, trying to figure out where can we take refuge from this storm. 
I love that that's the picture that's painted here in Scripture and obviously so relevant that the one worthy refuge, the one shelter that you can get under is under Jesus Christ. I loved also an image that I saw here today. I, I tried to find it. I had seen it this morning and tried to find it later today, but I couldn't find it. But it was a gathering in Kiev of a bunch of, uh, of uh, Ukrainian Christians that were just circled around. They're out in a public place. They're kneeled over and just calling out to God. So often that is our one place of refuge. The only hope that we have where you cling to the promises of God his faithfulness, his provision, and some of it may be demonstrated in this lifetime, but definitely, ultimately demonstrated in where we will spend our eternity. That's what gives us hope, even in the midst of crazy circumstances. He says, strong encouragement to hold fast, to not waver. Continues with this idea in verse 19. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Pause there, really a, a powerful descriptor there, this idea of being a soul anchor. You'll understand what I'm talking about in a moment, but as I was thinking back, there's, there's certain uh, tattoos over the years that I've seen that I start thinking when I see them, I'm like, man, someday they're most likely going to regret that. I don't know if you've seen that. One that I always think of as it relates to a, a bad tattoo is this one on the screen here, this image of the guy that has no regrets written, but he spelled the word regrets uh, wrong. This idea, this idea that often when you think of a tattoo, it's something you're like, ah, I don't know if I want that for the rest of my life. Well, one that I think is maybe appropriate and uh, it, it ties into this text here is our office manager, Stephanie. She has a, a tattoo. She got it a, a while back when she was younger, but she got this little anchor on her wrist. And when I, when I asked, I remember seeing it for the first time. I was like, Stephanie, what's the story behind the, the anchor? And she pointed to this verse, this picture in this description of, being, of Jesus being the steadfast, anchor of the soul. Now that's an appropriate tattoo, one that you could cling to, a, a truth that's as, as, as good and as permanent as a commitment that's made with a tattoo. It takes us all the way throughout our lifetime. It's the only time this metaphor is used in scripture, and I think it's a perfect one. If you think about a ship, if you've spent any time in a boat, any amount of time, you realize the importance of an anchor. The anchor keeps you at the point where you choose to stop. It keeps you from continuing moving. It keeps you from drifting. We talked about that a few weeks ago, how dangerous it can be in the Christian life to begin to drift. It also protects you during a storm when you're like, man, I can't control this boat. The only thing that's going to hold me firm is an anchor. Really, this picture that he describes isn't like any other anchor because it's not an anchor that goes down into the water, but rather an anchor that goes up into heaven. It describes this anchor as sure and steadfast, one that moves a hope that enters, listen to this statement, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. 
First, you read that and you're like, what in the world? What curtain are we talking about? What's this describing? If you spend any amount of time in the Old Testament, you realize how the temple was set up where the the glory of God was separated in the temple by a huge curtain. You might remember the account of Jesus' resurrection when he, uh, w- when the curtain was finally torn, uh, when the, the, the divide between God and man was finally set apart by his finished work on the cross. That was a, a huge deal for how things worked moving forward. See, before that, that was the temple for, uh, in the temple, that would only be once a year that was someone was able to go into the Holy of Holies. It was the high priest would go in and he'd go in with a, a, to, a, a toning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he'd do that once a year. One of the things that I learned about this that was really interesting was when he went in that once a year, it was such a dreaded responsibility, such a scary thing to go before the presence of God. They'd actually tie a rope to his ankle and they'd actually to keep bells on the tassels of his robe so that they could hear if he was still moving and if he was alive. And if he wasn't alive, they had the rope in order to pull him out uh, because they didn't want to take the risk of going in there themselves. This was something that was a huge deal. They're representing the holiness and perfection of God. You see, that used to be the separation between us and God because of our fallen state, because of our sin and him being perfect and us being not perfect. Well, Jesus' death took care of that. It eliminated the divide and provided the potential to have that relationship with God restored. And so when it describes Jesus as the forerunner, he's the first one to go behind the curtain to allow for us to engage again with our creator. That's why he's describing the confidence, the anchor of our soul is because we have a high priest that went before us. It describes the the order of Melchizedek, and we'll talk about that the entire chapter next week, so I won't explain that. But I like this picture of him being the forerunner that allows it and makes us possible to go before him. This is the whole idea, is that our future hope is our future hope steadies our soul during present trials. Our future hope, us clinging to the the things that that are promised, the things that are guaranteed by God's character, by his oath, by his promises, by his, his, uh, his, uh, perfect track record of faithfulness that allows us when we're in the middle of trouble to have an anchor for our soul. Doesn't that sound good? When you're, when you're seeing the world around us swirling, you're just like, man, I just need something that's going to keep me steady in the midst of this. I've been thinking all week, I don't know if you remember last week's video that we showed of the Melanie family and Gordon and Nancy and Jan- Jana Berry and really getting a chance to hear their story. And one of the things that stuck, I've kind of replayed it in my mind this week. I don't know if you remember the, in this video where Jana was talking for a bit She was explaining about the idea of losing her mom was just something that she couldn't even wrap her mind around. She was explaining that. That same description, kind of a a strange thing that I noticed that happened, maybe you caught this as well, is when she started to talk about God's sovereignty and him being in control and him knowing what's best, there was just this, this shift that went from tears 
to a, to a, a, a steady confidence because I think Jana was on to something with seeing the Lord as the anchor for her soul. The anchor for her soul in the midst of that storm, as they described it, in the midst of losing somebody that she loved so dearly, she clung to the Lord as an anchor to her soul. That's what it's describing. That's what it's describing here. Our future hope is steadied in the midst of present trial when we cling to him, to his promises and what's to come. So my question to you, just as we wrap up, my question to you is, is you, are you clinging? Are you attached to this anchor? Are you attached to it? Is he the anchor of your soul? Or do trials and difficulties expose the reality that maybe he's not? Maybe you're not revisiting his promises. Maybe you're not going back to the truth in scripture of what he says we can hold tight to. And what an invitation for us to align. What a timing for us to align with the promises of God. I just want to close by revisiting the ones that we talked about at the beginning of the message. Promises that we can cling to. God is always with me. God is always in control. God is always good. God is always watching. And ultimately, God is always victorious. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for these promises that you remind us. And really, it seems like you're making a case for why you're to be trusted, why you're trustworthy, because you don't change, you don't alter. You have a perfect track record of keeping your promises. You've committed to these things with an oath that you can't lie. It's impossible, we're told in your word. We thank you for these things and my hope and my prayer is during these times of uncertainty, these times of crazy, that we would be clinging to you as the anchor that allows us to remain steadfast even in the storms. We thank you for that now even in song. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. All right, church family. Well, again, thanks for being with us online this week. And my hope and my prayer is you join us just in this commitment that we would be praying for the people of Ukraine, the people of Russia, uh, just so much difficulty in our world right now, praying for wisdom for our leaders, uh, that God would reign and rule and use this maybe even as a means to bring people to know Jesus. Thanks again. God bless you. Have a great week.